Episode 22, Deanne Turner. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, you are in for a treat today. We've got a 30-year veteran executive from one of the greatest brands in the world on the show today. I am so pumped. Speaking of the greatest company brands in the world, want to know what they're doing differently when it comes to thriving in today's talent shortage? Here's just a couple things I learned from a recent read through a Glassdoor article. So they have personal development stipends that encourage growth and development. They lead results-oriented workplaces that show trust and give autonomy. They provide paid volunteer days that show their commitment to the community and important causes. They have formal mentoring programs that help with the success path of each individual employee. They provide generous paid vacation time to encourage time for rest and relaxation. And they have leadership that listens to feedback and takes action accordingly, giving employees a voice and on a regular basis. So those are just a few examples of why employees love working for the company that they do and many of these great places to work uh, throughout our nation. So today we're going to learn from a leader who's walked alongside and been involved in building a huge company brand and for 30 plus years as a veteran in the Chick-fil-A organization as an executive. So Deanne Turner is a passionate people leader, so passionate about company culture. And today she runs a consulting practice where she works globally with organizations who want to grow talent management practices, transform and strengthen culture and develop an it's my pleasure service model. I'm ready to dive right in right after this gut plus sponsor message. We'll be right back. In our conversations with CEOs and hiring managers, we hear they're frustrated with traditional recruiting. From outrageous fees to focusing on candidates before clients, the process was broken and needed to be fixed. Enter Titus Talent. Titus Talent Strategies serves its clients using passionate people, a proven process, and unparalleled performance. Oh, and did we mention they guarantee the performance of their candidates for 12 months? If you want to learn how they're disrupting the recruitment space, head over to TitusTalent.com. That's T-I-T-U-S-T-A-L-E-N-T dot com. All right, Deanne, welcome to the show today. What a treat to learn from someone who has been such a big contributor to a brand and a company culture that all of us look up to, Chick-fil-A. We are so excited to get a sneak peek of the behind the scenes innovation that happens to create these winning people strategies where employees feel valued and they want to bring their greatest force to their work. So we are elated and I know these shows fly by, so I'm going to just dive right in. I thought there's no one better than you to help us level set on some terminology that gets thrown out a lot right now. There's so much buzz around culture and employee engagement. So can you give us like, what's your definition? You know, we all think of it differently. So we just want to know yours. Like what's your definition of culture versus employee engagement and how do the two intersect? Well, Nikki, thanks so much for having me here today. It's my pleasure. And you're right. There's so much buzz about culture these days, and especially in the C-suite. I hear more talk about this than maybe in past years. And when when I think of culture, and even in my background and where I've come from, I think of culture as being that set of behaviors that encompass a company's purpose, mission, and core values, and how leadership 
represents those behaviors, role models them so that everyone in the organization acts accordingly. When I think of engagement, I think of the individual response to that culture. How and where they intersect is how good of a fit there is between that individual and the culture. And so the closer that individual fits into the purpose, mission, core values of an organization, I believe the more engaged they're going to be in their work. Oh, I love that. And, you know, let's just give some examples. And this may be, you know, direct examples of teams you've worked with at Chick-fil-A, or I know that you influence lots of different companies. What are some examples of a thriving culture where people are, you can just see engagement? Well, I think it starts when people understand the why of an organization, the purpose. You know, one of my favorite books is Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. And that really is a good place to start when people understand the why of their in business. For instance, at Chick-fil-A, a part of our corporate purpose talks about being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and a positive influence of all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And what I've seen happen around both of those principles, when I think about positive influence, that started from our founder, Truett Cathy, and in his little community where he started his first restaurant. But the ripple effect of that and and people buying into that and feeling like that is a a strong part of who they are in the workplace has had a ripple effect that literally has had millions of impacts all around the world. And what I mean by that is that positive influence. He started that. Other people see their opportunity to do it. It's a franchisee and and team members in a certain location and their impact in their community. And you multiply that by 2,300 restaurants, 200,000 team members. And so when, when people really buy into that idea, the ripple effect that has is tremendous. And when individual realizes that they're part of something like that, it drives their engagement into that culture. Um, So I've certainly seen that in my own experience. And then I think of other situations and maybe not to be as specific, but when I see, um, especially in the customer service, when people really get it, um, I'm reminded of the early days of Ritz Carlton and when Hort Schultze first was leading that organization and the driving culture he had there of ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen and how that employment brand really drove that culture of how they treated their guest. They saw themselves with self-respect and then the, they respected their guest. And of course, that spawned a whole language for their culture, including the, the genesis of the whole It's My Pleasure movement. You may remember that, but when a guest would say, thank you at the Ritz-Carlton, their response was, it's my pleasure. And in fact, that's where Chick-fil-A derived our use of that terminology was learning from the Ritz-Carlton. So I think of their culture and how their emphasis on exceeding the desires of their guests and the whole nomenclature around that and how that drove their culture. Great examples. I love your like heart is all about purpose. And then you mentioned the book that I also love leading with why we're going to come right back to that because I think that we have a lot to dive into. Um, We were talking about these visions and examples of strong cultures, but you and I know, unfortunately, the statistics out there are that 
70% of employees are not engaged in their work. 76% of people have some sort of sickness the day before their work week begins, like these horrible things. And so unfortunately, strong cultures aren't as much the norm as toxic ones. And so I want to just dive into that for a minute. When you think about toxic cultures, just thinking through like a checklist of things that are happening where, you know, maybe some listeners could think through like, are we in our organization experiencing some of these patterns that we really need to find some interventions for? Like, what are some examples of what that toxic culture looks like and how people behave in that? And then share with us what you think is at the core of it. Well, the number one thing that comes to mind when I think of a toxic culture is people who are led or motivated by fear. And you see this in organizations where, where a couple things exist. First of all, where you have a culture where it's permissive to bully people, for example. And so you have leaders who intimidate and try to lead by intimidation, which creates this fear. And then people create, you know, it's, they create stories themselves that I like to say, there's the story and there's the story you tell yourself. Well, when you're motivated by fear, you start to tell yourself a a certain story that then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And what I mean by that is, you know, if someone tells you you're bad long enough, you become that. And so I think that leaders who motivate by fear, that creates a really toxic culture rather than um, instead, you know, they have all these rules to be enforced instead of this idea of teaching principles that empower people. So let me, can I give you just an example, uh, tell you a story. I think about our situation at Chick-fil-A when we first started, we have a um, part of our culture, one of our guiding principles is make second mile second nature. And that's something we do in our restaurants. We like to go above and beyond what guests expect and go the second mile, as we call it. When we first started that, we were very prescriptive about what that looked like. For instance, the biggest example I can give you of this is that we put a pepper grinder, a large pepper grinder in every restaurant. And the requirement was that when guests ordered salads and sat down at their table, that a team member would come over and offer fresh ground pepper on that salad. We learned a few things about making a rule. First of all, those pepper grinders often walked out of the restaurant. People took them, unfortunately. So operators were constantly having to reorder these expensive pepper grinders. And secondly, in a lot of our markets, guests really didn't expect that or want somebody to walk over and put fresh ground pepper on their salad. And so we backed up. And instead of having this rule of of using this pepper grinder, we backed up and we said, okay, here's the principle. We want every guest to experience an element of second mile service on every visit. And the franchisees were empowered to do whatever worked in their community for their guests. So it might be different in Southern California or San Antonio, Texas, or Minneapolis, Minnesota, or Long Island, New York, whatever the case might be. There's something different that that guest in those communities might want differently And the individual franchisees and his or her team members knew best how to exceed their guest expectations. So what happened was once these team members were empowered, all kinds of things started happening that now you read about in the media. I mean, it it started with smaller things like changing tires in the parking lot and refreshing batteries for guests who broke down in the drive-thru or returning somebody's purse when they left it on their vacation. They were on their way on vacation and left a left their purse in a Chick-fil-A restaurant and 25 miles away, the team member brings it to them. Those kinds of stories begin to happen. 
and then it culminated. Uh, my my favorite example is what happened last year in Houston when Hurricane Harvey hit. Of course, we had seven we had seventy restaurants closed at that time. But what's become common for Chick Fil A is that our franchisees will feed first responders in a crisis like that. And so there was a team member in a closed restaurant thawing chicken for the purpose of feeding first responders, and the phone was ringing off the hook, and he looked at the caller ID and realized it was a regular customer of that restaurant. So he decided to pick up the phone to tell Mr. Simpson that the restaurant was closed. And when he picked up the phone, Mr. Simpson said, I need two burritos with extra eggs and a boat. And he and his wife were stranded in their house, which was flooded waist high, and the waters were rising, and they couldn't get any help. They were an older couple and they needed to be evacuated. Well, this team member who understands the principle of second mile service and doesn't have a lot of rules placed on him decides to call somebody that works in the restaurant that he knows has a boat and they go and get this couple and save them. You know, that represents all kinds of engagement, employee engagement, but it also is what happens when instead of enforcing rules for compliance, we actually empower people by teaching them principles for commitment. Wow, what neat stories. And so the second mile service is really an illustration of empowerment culture. And you were talking about safety being the key, like lack of safety is really key in toxic environments. So this is really the the opposite. Creating an empowerment platform in your organization is a great launching point to getting on the other side of this toxic culture. So that is so loaded. There's so much there. And it's like for some of our listeners that are struggling with, I have people that are coming in, just going through the motions, like our morale is low. Like we've got this toxic stuff going on and I'd love to get to an empowerment, like second mile experience. How do you suggest taking the first steps to get started and laying that foundation? What I believe is that the leader or leaders of an organization have to call a timeout. In fact, that's exactly how Chick-fil-A got there. It was 1982. And for people who are around at that time, they might remember that the U.S. was in a a terrible recession. Chick-fil-A had something that not happened in the four decades that they'd been in business or that Truett Cathy had been in business. And that's that we had a slump in sales. And not only did we have a slump in sales, but that particular year was the year that the brand new corporate headquarters was built. And so Truett Cathy found himself for the first time ever, he had a slump in sales and he was heavily in debt from that building. And we know that most organizations in that situation, they would start thinking about cutting budgets, cutting staff, maybe running a sales contest. But what Chick-fil-A leaders did at that time, they did none of those things. They went off to a retreat and they sat down and they said, okay, why are we in business at all? What is our why? And they came back and presented to the organization the why, which was to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Well, the staff bought into it so much that they carved it in bronze and stuck it on stone in front of the corporate headquarters. And the purpose of doing that was so that everyone who came, the employees that came every day would walk past that. They'd know why they were there at work that day while Chick-fil-A was in business. The people who, the franchisees that visited, their team members who came, even our guests who come know the reason that Chick-fil-A is in business. Now, what did that yield for Chick-fil-A to come up with that idea, to determine their why, write it in, you know, cast it in bronze and put it on a stone? Well, first of all, 
they've never had a slump in sales since 1982 to 2018. And in 2012, Chick-fil-A became debt-free. And retention rates of franchisees and corporate staff members are both at 95% over the last three decades. So that the impact of just knowing the why was really, really important. And so I think that's the place to start for an organization and then rally people around that. And then from there, you build on the next element of the culture, which is what are you in business to do? What is that challenging mission that you want to accomplish? For us, we had several missions. Missions change, whereas purpose doesn't usually change. Missions will change because once you accomplish that mission, you're ready for the next one. So the one we're working on right now is be remarkable. Be remarkable in the food that we prepare. Be remarkable in the service we deliver and create remarkable experiences for guests. And the third crucial element is determining what are your core values? What are the behaviors that are expected of the people associated first in leadership, but then secondly by everyone in the organization? Um, We've actually recently expanded our values. We started off with a set of four words, but we expanded them recently to be that we're here to serve, we're better together, we're purpose-driven, and we pursue what's next. And when those are clearly defined, people understand what those are, what the behaviors are associated with them, and they see them role modeled day in and day out. That's how you start the foundation of building a really compelling culture within your organization. Wow. So I have so many questions going back to this taking a time out. You know, something's not working. Hey, it's okay to just let's take a break. Let's get away. Let's look at it. And like, let's completely go back to like our purpose and our core and kind of restart. Let's fix this. So going through that with Chick-fil-A, taking that time out and then seeing just, you know, a a great experience on the back end of that and consistent growth. I have got a couple of questions with the scope and magnitude of like size of an organization like Chick-fil-A. Most every company struggles with communication and buy-in across the organization. Obviously, you've seen in your long tenure with Chick-fil-A, you guys have done that really well. What are examples of how to do that? Well, first of all, you have to be relentless in it. And you know, there's the, that old saying about communication strategy, tell them, tell them again, and tell them what you told them. And that really applies anytime when it comes to people, principles, people changes, anything that you want to communicate about culture. And so, One of the things that's really helped us is structure, a number of things that we've done with structure. First of all, these types of things, I go back, who owns culture? Well, the leadership of the organization owns culture. I mean, if I I said one person, I'd say the CEO owns culture. That's job one. And so in our organization, that's how we've communicated. We've started there. And so we use all the communication channels to do that. One of the practices, and it's been fairly recently that we've done this as we've grown really big. I mean, now a $10 billion organization, we've used our officers, um, we've communicated more with them to communicate to staff uh, throughout the cor- uh, the support center, which is what we call our corporate office now, that has been key to being able to transmit culture to everyone is using that body of people. There are about 30 of those. So everything goes to them first, you know, retreats, uh, time together, understanding what change is going to be take place. And they are the mechanism of change management for us. 
they are supported by another group of people that's common in organizations now. Some people call them HR business partners. We call them talent consultants. We have grown that function a lot over the years for this reason of communication. How do we make sure that it gets down to middle management, not just middle management, but to every level in the organization? So that structure has really, really helped us. And then we've used all kinds of tools um, from town hall meetings to we use a lot of video in our organization, a lot less written communication, but certainly using digital portals for transmitting information on our internet. And then we've actually have our own within our organization. We have our own, which a lot of people uh, a lot of organizations do, but our own version of social media, which helps communicate some informal things in our culture um, that's really helpful. So I wanted to touch on um, some best practices that you saw with your team at Chick-fil-A when it comes to who owns culture and people strategy and engagement and how you know HR and the executive team are integrated. Um, what we see a lot of times is challenges around delegating culture. And this is one person's responsibility. And I know that you think very differently in that. I'd just love for you to showcase best practices around the ownership around it and the team approach. Well, it's funny that you asked me this question. I was uh, interviewing uh, the other day, somebody who was interested in, in working with me as a consultant, and they were wanting to do cultural transformation work. And so and it, it was the CEO of the organization. And so I asked him, I said, who owns culture in your organization? And he said, I do. And I said, well, that was the right answer. So let's get to work. Um, because I I do believe that it has to start at the very top. And in our organization, it starts with ownership and leadership of the organization. Some organizations have a tendency to say that belongs to people or talent or human resources, whatever they call that function. And it can't belong to a function. It has to first belong to leadership, and then it belongs to everyone. Everyone has to buy into that. And the HR leader can be the conduit of the communication strategy around it and helping actually activate it, um, but they can't be the owner of it, and everyone else can't sit back and say, hey, we're waiting on HR to bring us a strategy around our culture. The other thing that I think I've discovered recently, and it's expanding this thought a little bit more, but when we think of mindsets that are needed in the C-suite, I think that has changed. In what the, I think for years and years and years, we talked about strategy, strategy, strategy. But I think there are four other things just because of what's happening in the marketplace. I think culture is certainly one of those things that's owned in the C-suite. I think sustainability is owned there. You may have a function that creates strategy for that, but I think it has to report into the C-suite for an organization to make the needed change in sustainability. I think diversity is that we have to have a mindset for diversity coming out of the C-suite that filters every decision we make based on that. Um, idea. And then lastly, it's innovation. I don't think that's functional either. If an organization is truly going to be innovative, think forward, pursue what's next, I think that has to be a C-suite type of responsibility. Fantastic. Culture, sustainability, diversity, innovation. Love all of those. So 
really great to, to learn all of these best practices. And I feel like these shows just always fly by, but I want to squeeze in something super exciting um, for you, which is now you are a Chick-fil-A alum. And I'd love to just hear more about what does that mean? What's the Chick-fil-A alum and what's that program and, and how does that you know transition playing out for you in your new career? Well, I feel like I'm living the dream. What uh, has taken place recently for Chick-fil-A is that we, you know, still fairly a young organization. We had our, uh, Trick Cathy opened his first restaurant in 1946, but the first Chick-fil-A was opened in 1967. And so uh, when he began his organization, everyone who came there was really young, actually. And so over the, over these years, we have not had a lot of retirees. Recently, we had a, an offering for long-term uh, Chick-fil-A employees were able to take a voluntary early retirement option. And it was offered to about 100 people, and I think 45 or 46 took this. And and because the organization realized, hey, that's a lot of our culture, and it's walking out the door, let's think about this differently than most organizations. Most organizations, when somebody leaves or when somebody retires, I mean, they're gone. They take all their badges, their name tags, company property, and they're done. And Chick-fil-A realized the value that was in this group of people that was leaving. And so they decided to create a Chick-fil-A Alumni Association uh, rather than than having a retiree group, especially since some of us were rather young to be considered retirees. And they let us keep our name tags, our our parking uh, permits, our security badges to go in and out of the building and have invited us to to continue to be a part of the organization to show up anytime we want to. Uh, Chick-fil-A offers, uh, we have a cafe that offers free lunch to their to our employees. And so Dan Cathy, our CEO, recently said to this group, he said, we invite you back for a free lunch anytime, but we just ask that in return, you at least tell one story while you're here to a staff member um, so that they can pick your brain about culture. And so that's, that's what Chick-fil-A has created as an opportunity. How exciting. That's just so neat. And just the stories that you've shared today to continue living on those, you know, cultural stories that um, make you such a great Chick-fil-A alum. Um, We're going to take a quick break and hear from a sponsor. And then we're going to come back and we want to just learn a little bit about the personal side of Deanne Turner with our lightning round. We'll be right back. Are you still using Pulse surveys? How about annual questionnaires? If your organization relies on either of these, it's time to discover Amplify. Amplify has created a new way to measure employee engagement. It's where CEOs who want to know what's really happening within a workforce go to get honest feedback and to understand what needs to change for people to love their work. Companies that have used Amplify have increased productivity by as much as 30% in just three months. Best of all, it's not just data that Amplify provides. Executives get hands-on coaching with engagement specialists, people who know exactly what to do with the data. To see their latest research on employee engagement, visit Amplify.com. All right, Deanne, so welcome back to Gut Plus Science. We call this the lightning round, where we just get to learn a couple of key things about you as a person. So this is probably a tough one, but what's your favorite book or a book that you would recommend to our listeners today? It is a tough one, but my all-time favorite that challenged me personally was Integrity by Dr. Henry Cloud. All right. And this is another tough one. So pick your very favorite vacation spot and share it with us. (laughs) Well, my very favorite place I've ever been is Bora Bora. I highly recommend it. It is uh, it is paradise on earth. 
Sounds wonderful. And when you're not working, what would we catch you doing, like a favorite hobby? Uh, you'd probably find me on my stand-up paddleboard paddling around Lake Hartwell. Fun. Awesome. And Deanne, how can our listeners reach you after the show today? You can reach me at my website, deanneturner.com, on Twitter at deanneturner, on Instagram at deanneturner, and my Facebook author page, deanneturner, and that's D-E-E-A-N-N, Turner, T-U-R-N-E-R. Deanne Turner, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a great show with such good, fresh perspective and many stories and just real ideas that is helping to further the mission of Gut Plus Science, which is to help leaders get inspired and to be able to inspire their employees to love their work or love Monday again and just feel meaning and purpose in the work that they're doing for their company. So we definitely accomplished that today. There's so much in the show. And um, for those of you that are listeners, I encourage you to take at least one thing and go start a new conversation or try something new based on what you learned with this show today. I now have the job of summarizing it into what we call the truth you can act on section where I'm going to give four key takeaways. I'm going to summarize. It's really hard to do lots of things in this show, summarize some, some key actions um, or ideas that you can take back and again, start those conversations in your organization. So number one, behaviors equal culture. So your business's mission statement and core values don't create culture. Culture, you must put those ideas into practice, promoting an engaged workplace by hiring individuals that believe in the mission of the business and provide tangible steps for them on how they can live it from day one. Um, number two, so enforce with principles. So enforcing strict rules based solely on compliance limits the creativity and overall impact of your employees. So striving to empower your workplace by teaching guidelines, expectations, and principles of commitment that allow individualistic solutions to then breed creativity on how we solve problems. Uh, number three, so know why you exist. A connected culture must be one that contains commonality and shared interests. So constantly revisit the why of the business and share it often to rally your employees around the challenging mission that you all are trying to accomplish. And then own your culture. So top organizational leaders own company culture. When they set an example, the rest of the workforce, the rest of the employees, all of everyone will follow suit. So foster deep pride and take ownership in guiding principles of your company by living the mission of your business while outwardly communicating these ideas and sharing stories frequently. So that's it, guys. Another wonderful show, a top show on Gut Plus Science. We'll see you next week. Thanks again, Deanne. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.